Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We work hard as physicians to take care of the health and well-being of our patients. But when it comes to our money, do we have the same condition of care? Probably, probably not. Let's change that together. Welcome to the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast, where we'll fight and advocate for your financial literacy. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. Thanks for being here. Let's jump into the show. Before we begin today's episode, let's hear from this week's sponsor. You know, almost nobody gets personal finance training in medical school or dental school. When you get out of training, you're saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt right out of the gate. So it's no wonder that physician burnout is such a problem. And that problem isn't limited to just the physician. That kind of financial stress affects your family life because it constrains your finances and it prevents you from reaching your financial goals. As a result, your marriage may be strained and stressed as well. Well, that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the Marriage and Money MD Summit coming up on November 15th through 17th. It's a free summit for healthcare professionals who want to build a stronger marriage and create a better path to building wealth. You'll hear from 21 amazing speakers over three days, and you'll come away with the tools and resources you need to have the happy family life and the path to financial independence that you deserve. You can sign up today by clicking the link in the podcast description. Even if you don't get a chance to attend the talks live, sign up for free anyway, and you can catch the replays for the rest of the week. Again, click the link in the podcast description to sign up for free. I can't wait to see you there. So welcome, everybody, to this week's episode for the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast. And as you know, we tout four different types of freedom. First is financial second is time, third is location, and fourth is emotional. And I bring on physicians who are entrepreneurs, investors, thing, and who are doing things that are cutting edge and bringing awareness to our culture of medicine and trying to change the face of healthcare. So today we have Dr. Johnny Luo, uh, really fascinating individual, which you'll hear about later. He's in the field of healthcare startups. And I'm going to bring up his bio here. So, um, so Dr. Johnny Luo is a is the CEO of Doctors Choice USA, and he is passionate about improving healthcare through helping individuals live healthier lives. Dr. Johnny Luo is the founder of Doctors Choice, a company with a mission to provide clear and concise education to employers and retirees about. Medicare. So you're going to hear all about the challenges with the healthcare system and the solutions that Johnny is bringing to these pain points. He is the author of the Retiree's Guide to Medicare, What Your Insurance Company Does Not Want You to Know, as well as author of over 15 peer-reviewed medical articles on regenerative health. He graduated from Brown University and as well as the 
Alpert Medical School at Brown University. So without much ado, welcome Dr. Johnny, Johnny Luo. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Christopher Liu, we could be related. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know an Asian last name could be changed, <laughs> and uh, so uh, depending on where you're from, but uh, yeah, and it, it's great to have you on the show. I know uh, both of ours, we um, we both follow the uh, Tony Tony Robbins community, and we're both Tony Robbins fan, and so um, so, and I'm really interested in hearing your story because um, I like to find doctors out there who are not doing the traditional patient care mm -hmm. activities. I want to find doctors that are really doing innovative things, different things that are changing the face of healthcare. So tell us all about your story, how you got started, and how you founded Doctors' Choice USA. Sure. Uh, and again, Chris, I go on tangents, so correct me <laughs> if I end up going on one and it's not helpful to your audience. Sure. Um, and thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's always fun to know when we connected. I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to investing and retiring at 38. So really impressive. Uh, I hope to be there in a couple of years when I'm that age. So, yeah, so a little bit about my background and story. I grew up, actually, I grew up in China in Fuzhou, and uh, I came to the U.S. when I was eight years old. And my parents were both uh, physicians and professors, and they had uh, established their career in Rhode Island, right? The smallest state, uh, unless I think Washington, D.C., if that becomes a state, then uh, it'll no longer be the smallest state. So live in Rhode Island my whole life. I went to school there. I went to uh, medical school there. And I was in the process of going into primary care because I really liked patient care. I really liked uh, helping people. I know that sounds cliche, uh, but I guess everybody says that, right? If you have a kid that says, I want to go up to hurt somebody. I mean, <laughs> their problem was probably bigger than getting into medical school. Yeah. So, the what what I was really it was really interesting was when I was going through school, and I, I think this is the part of the story where last time we talked, I didn't really go into too much, and it was one of the spurring factors in what I'm doing today and the direction that I took. So I ended up getting sick in my freshman year in college. And it was a some type of um, immune autoimmune disease. They really couldn't figure out what it really was. Part of it was exacerbated by nickel allergy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's actually one of the published papers was I realized that your cell phone could give you a nickel allergy and that could um, mm. end up in some pretty bad rashes. And mm -hmm. so long story short there was I went through a lot of therapy as a patient, um, learned a lot about dermatology. My dermatologist was at my weddings, good friend of mine. and he ended up giving me a lot of you know, steroids and creams that yeah. helped me temporarily. Uh, but the downside of using a lot of steroids is, is that you've got weight gain, you've got acne, which is not a fun thing when you're 18 years old and yeah. you know, you're trying to go out to parties. And, and what ended up helping me was Eastern medicine. I took about two years of herbal remedies and acupuncture and all these other modalities and I ended up getting better. So they really couldn't figure out what type of sort of immune response I had, although I might be allergic to one or two things, but it was beyond that. And that's when I thought, geez, there's a lot of things that we need to understand more in healthcare. And that's why I decided to go through, because I was really interested in business. And that's why I decided to go through uh, medical school. And because I wanted to learn more about the field, learn about patient care, how do you bring on, bring through new therapies? And what's the process of going from the bench to the clinic. And mm -hmm. what I quickly realized was uh, I was pretty disenfranchised by the system. I worked with great people, no complaints there. And 
during my, you know, during my clerkships, I started asking a lot of my preceptors and I said, look, uh, are you happy? And they're like, why are you asking that question? Like, pay attention. <laughs> so after asking that enough, it came to be that, you know, nine out of 10 said, no, I'm not happy. And yeah. It was really interesting because you saw these trends, right? Where the primary care docs wanted to do something, maybe NGO or nonprofit, uh, the, a lot of this, I'm, I'm generalizing and, and I apologize for doing so, but it was what I saw. A lot of the specialists, especially the surgeons, either were really engineering focused or they want to make a lot of money. So yeah. <laughs> they would have, and a lot of the specialists said, well, I wish, wish I went on Wall Street or did consulting or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really interesting to see the patterns. And I started to, to look at, you know, why is that? And I started talking to more patients because when you're a student, you can do that. There's not a whole lot of, uh, as long as you don't hurt anybody, uh, you can have a lot of freedom to explore and ask questions. And mm-hmm. what I ended up realizing was there's, with medicine, it's a marketplace. At the end of the day, it's an exchange between patients mm-hmm. that need the service and providers that can provide the service, you know, mm-hmm. hence providers. And neither side were happy with the experience. And that led me to think, look, there's gotta be something wrong with this exchange mm-hmm. because let's say you go into a hot dog stand, right? And you're getting a hot dog and the guys that selling the hot dog to you is not happy selling you the hot dog and you're not happy buying the hot dog. So theoretically that hot dog stand should not exist. <laughs> exactly. So that's what, that's what was happening in medicine. And medicine is just ballooning. Right? We're close to 20% of our GDP uh, versus Singapore's 5%, other countries, you know, 10 to 15%. And our outcomes are not much better. And we heard, heard those statistics over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, look, what, what am I missing here? And why is it so hard to innovate? And, you know, the, inno- the definition of innovation, you ask five people, you get 10 different answers. And for me, it's about how do we just find a better way to meet our clients or our patients' needs. Mm-hmm. So originally, the thought was, I'll finish medical school, finish residency. I'll, I'll join this uh, practice. It was about 4,000 patients, two docs, two urgent cares, and maybe figure out a micro practice, you know, concierge care, somewhere where we could develop a experience for patients that they wanted to experience and also develop a lifestyle for doctors where you weren't working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week and seeing your pay go down every single year. Yeah. Um, that didn't, so that, that plan didn't really pan out because I just felt like I wasn't getting any younger. And I knew that I probably wouldn't have been able to work. You know, uh-huh. a lot of, I had a, I had a good friend of mine who told me, look, he was at that point, he was 65 years old. And he said, look, I spent the best 20 years of my life, not you know, best 20 years, meaning the time, time of my life between my, I would say my late 20s to uh, mm-hmm. late 40s, where I could really work, right? I could work 70, 80, 90 hours a week on something I'm passionate about and still yeah. keep going yeah. versus he goes, I'm 65 now and I can't. Mm-hmm. I just energetically, I can't. Yeah. I don't know, maybe we got to get them into some programs, but the, uh, <laughs> I, so that really struck me and I was like, shoot. Back then I was 20, I was 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've got these 20 years to work really, really hard. Let's make it count. So that's when I said, look, how, what can I do immediately? How do I, how do I understand the healthcare system? Because even though I was a medical student and I had done a little bit of work at a local, very small biotech venture capital firm, mm-hmm. done some medical research but I really feel like I didn't understand how the pieces work together. Like who's actually moving those pieces. Cause every time, you know, you, you're a small player, you go out, you go, you go out there and you have to exert a lot of energy. It's like riding a tricycle you have to, to get somewhere. And the, 
the realization was I need to learn more. I need to learn more about if I'm going to bring new treatments to market, all of that. I need to first understand how things work and then I can make some changes um, because otherwise I'm just going a bull in the China shop. I don't really understand what's going on. And this is right around the time that the Affordable Care Act was coming out, so Obamacare. And I was still doing a lot of work in the same primary care office. And a lot of the patients that were uh, coming into the office, they were older, they were on Medicare. So Medicare is for people that are 65 or older or people who are disabled. And they were really confused. They didn't know what to do because there's a lot of communication on you know, the Obamacare, you, you got to do this. You gotta, they plowed, I think, $100 million a state or something like that into Oh. developing the systems and marketing. So it was everywhere. And people were really confused. And, and that was an independent system from Medicare uh, in terms of how the patient experienced it. So patients were really confused. And I didn't really have a good resource to send them to because I didn't know anything about insurance. Uh-huh. But I quickly realized that insurance was one of the hidden forces. I mean, insurance and pharmaceutical companies are some of the biggest forces, aside from these now big hospital chains that are driving a lot of the decisions in healthcare because centralized uh, demand and centralized supply. And, and I needed to understand how all those big pieces worked. And mm-hmm. I'd done some pharmaceutical research. I wasn't a big fan of that because uh, even though we've got some really great life-saving therapies, I also feel like a lot of times we can be over. I, I'll, frankly, I don't know if it was your experience. I felt like I just got, I just went to medical school to, to be taught how to prescribe medications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do a couple surgeries here and there, which is fun. You did a lot more surgeries. Um, so I, I was really interested in insurance because I felt like insurance was the one of the hidden, for, well, it's not so hidden, but it's one of the big forces that if you get, I feel like this is my thinking at the time, if you get big enough in insurance, you, you'll be able to make a difference because then nobody can come in and take you out really quickly, right? Because mm-hmm. nowadays, I mean, we're seeing this nowadays too, where it's like, you can, you say something a little bit that's you know off the off the fringe, you might get canceled. So yeah, I figured if you have a really big insurance company behind you and you're trying to do the right thing, then it's you're gonna have a lot more momentum. That was my thought. Uh-huh. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. We still have to wait for it to pan out. So I said, what what can I do to add value immediately? Because even though I had a little bit of tiny tiny bit of experience as an intern, um, worked a little bit at a venture capital firm. I still didn't understand the breadth of how, you know, how do you start a company? How do you go out there and either raise money or scale up or all of that? And I know that a lot of my colleagues were thinking the same thing. They were thinking it'd be really cool. They all had an idea. Everybody had an idea and ideas are cheap. Mm-hmm. Like, I have this great idea to do this. And I think it'd be great. How, you know, I want to sell you the idea for 50% of the company or something like that. Yeah. And you know, quickly realized it's not about the idea. It's about execution. Two people can have oftentimes multiple people have the same idea. It's who can execute it better. So and, I, and I, for me, immediately, I didn't really have an idea, but I did have this problem, which is a lot of patients that were confused about their health insurance, and I wasn't equipped as a provider to be able to educate them when I should be. Mm-hmm. And hence, that's when Doctors' Choice was started. Uh, hence, doctors making patients, making, you know, helping patients make smarter choices. Mm-hmm. That was the etiology of the name. And, but what it quickly grew into was uh, it was taking a lot of education around what Medicare means and how to navigate Medicare. It was about 100 hours of research distilled down into about a 40-minute presentation. Initially, it was to teach doctors how to better talk to their patients about health insurance. That was a disaster because people were like, you're going to get sued for Stark Law. You're going to have all these doctors. They're not getting paid for it. There's going to be all these issues. Who's going to spend the time to do it? So I said, okay, that's fine. That's not a good path. But then patients really wanted the education. And then we quickly realized that 
most people get their health insurance from employers mm-hmm. and employers are, they were the really the right venue, you know, employers and some, some essence doctors nowadays, because now they've gotten a lot intertwined with the insurance programs and the risk sharing and all of that. But back then it was employers provided health insurance. Employers had an aging workforce. One in four Americans are going to work past 65. Uh-huh. The number one concern in retirement is, am I going to have a catastrophic issue that's going to wipe me out financially from a healthcare perspective? Because we hear all these scary statistics, somebody saved for their whole lifetime and then some health issue happens and then they have to spend out, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on care and so forth. So people are really scared about that. Yeah, so that's the number one concern. And people were a lot of times delaying retirement because of that reason, because just there was a lack of information, there was a lack of clarity, and there's lack of con- uh, concise guidance. And most of what was out there was a lot of people trying to just simply sell insurance. Right. And nothing wrong with that, but just not the approach that I wanted to take, not the approach that I wanted to send my family towards, uh, and definitely not my patients. So I wasn't comfortable sending patients to, you know, a sales presentation where they're going to be sold something. So yeah, what we decided to do was um, the company, we, we built a platform which the, the process of going from employer insurance to Medicare is incredibly cumbersome because not only do you have to go on the new insurance, you've got to navigate through your human resource department. You've got to go through the federal government, which we know it's always a breeze, right? We have to go to the federal government for something. <laughs> and then you've got to sort through over 2,000 different plan combinations across the country. It's probably a lot more than that. Um, yeah but a lot of insurance options. And the good thing is that it can be hyper tailored. You know, an option can be hyper tailored to somebody's doctors, medications, lifestyle, all that. The downside is too many options to choose from. I mean, I, I go to a restaurant, I get confused because the med- there's too many options in most restaurants. So right. same thing with the consumer. They're making a really, in some cases, a permanent decision. So we wanted to have a better way of doing that. And that was really the need that we were meeting and mm-hmm. the the pro the benefits. We wanted to set up a win-win-win situation. So the win for the individual was they would get this guidance mm-hmm. right, that was unbiased. It was from a team of people that a lot of times have healthcare backgrounds or counseling backgrounds. It's our advocacy team. And it was software driven because we realized that this uh, two, you know, 50 different, over 50 different enrollment periods, 2000 different combinations. One person's not going to get it straight in their head. I, I couldn't get it straight after, uh, you know, I still have to look things up after eight and a half years. So yeah we developed a software platform. It's like a triple tax for Medicare called the Medicare checkup. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes through somebody's specific situation and it identifies enrollment period, identifies what options are right for them based on their specific lifestyle and, and medical needs and projects out also what we think that they'll need in five to 10 years, because we have enough data on that. And it's a really cool system that we developed that our team uses to help provide that level of guidance that again, I wanted for my family and patients. And then for the employer, the benefit of that, so the, the patient gets a service or the client gets a service from us for no cost uh, on our platform, because a lot of times the employer is paying for it. So the employer is paying us as an employee benefit because employers now concerning employees offer, employers offer health insurance, they offer caregiver benefits. And then they're realizing that for their employees that are getting older and for the employees that are caregivers, mm-hmm there's a huge need, a gap that needs to be filled in terms of helping people navigate Medicare. And also the other financial benefit is that in cases where truly it's better for the, for the employee to go on Medicare versus staying on their health insurance, uh, the employer saves a lot of money. So we had one case where there was a 5,000 person company uh, and just recently, and they were self-insured, means, meaning that they were paying for their own claims. 
Mm-hmm. So big companies, what they can say is, that, look, if we keep our employees healthier than the general public and yeah. we pay their own claims, then we can save money on health insurance. So that's what they did. And, and the first week we implemented, there was a, a this was a, a big, uh, it was a service industry and it was a driver and the driver had been for, there for 30 years. So a lot of loyalty to this organization, his spouse, his wife had stage four ovarian cancer and mm-hmm. she's still doing well today, but she was getting her care done in you know big city, big hospital system. About a million, three million foreign claims every single year for that one person, yeah. not even the employee, just the spouse. Right. And of course the company was paying for it. And what ended up happening was we did the back and napkin analysis from a third party perspective and say, Hey, look, you can save $2,600 by going on having your wife go on Medicare for you personally, you know, based on deductibles and co-pays and, and her doctors and so forth. Mm-hmm. And for, so for him, it was no brainer. So they saved $2,600 and the company saved 1.3, $1.4 million a year wow. just wow. off that one case. So the return on investment can be tremendously asymmetrical and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the first step. So this is the value that we created in navigating people through the system, because I feel like mm-hmm. uh, I'm still learning and uh, whatever I want to learn, I want to then teach immediately yeah. to people. And so this is our first step. And that's what the company Doctor's Choice uh, is, is that we provide that crystal clear guidance and advocacy and and we help people actually fill out the paperwork to transition them from employer coverage to Medicare. Uh-huh. It's a win-win-win across the board. I guess in some cases, maybe, you know, we're offsetting the risk of the government. Um, that's where people are like, what's, where's the free lunch? Well, the free lunch is kind of like the government, which is we're all paying for it. But that's a bigger problem that we have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at least in the meantime, employers can save money legally mm-hmm. because you can't push employees off. It's the employee's choice. And we want to make sure that it's truly... We want to be that neutral third party where it's truly a better bet for the employees. And yeah. from there, we were able to now work with the insurance companies, understand how insurance truly works. Yeah. And I realized, I mean, Chris, it's, it's funny. When I was a medical student uh, and when my colleagues were trying to get in touch with the insurance companies, right? You know how difficult that, everything was oh, like, <laughs> get a claim denied and then you got to appeal it. And then uh-huh. uh, yeah. The office I was in, we were spending $200,000 a year off of a million dollar top line to just do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that we could either help give to charity care. It just yeah. boggles my mind. But, you know, we can't get a call back from insurance companies. And yeah, huge. I get into the, the Medicare, the, you know, essentially we're in distribution now. The biz, part of the business model is, you know, we become their insurance agent. Uh, but everybody's salaried, so it's unbiased. But the yeah. when I'm sitting in that seat, I give a call, and uh, you know the, the the VP, the SVP, the the president, the CEO, all these insurance companies, they call me back. Mm-hmm. I can have a conversation. I can say, hey, look, um, you know, we, we had one of the local plans. Uh, we gave him a lot of advice, and my passion in Eastern medicine. I said, look. We have a lot of clients who could benefit from acupuncture. This is back when Medicare didn't cover it. I mean, this year, I think they did overall. And I said, look, we got to add a lot of these holistic medicine Mm. components into these plans. And because of our volume and the amount of people we've helped, they did it. I was like, yeah. when did you ever, you know, as a physician, you could get an insurance company to move? (laughs) Almost never. It's like, it's like huge. I mean, it's like, yeah. you can't, it's like moving a mountain. You can't, you can. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> I was like, 
maybe we're onto something. So our, you know, our purpose of the company is to truly help people live healthier lives. Mm-hmm. And our short-term mission is how do we help a million people transition from their employer coverage to Medicare and beyond successfully? Right. And, you know, for, for people that are wanting to start companies and, and or our providers and, you know, physicians that are thinking about, I have this great idea, I want to execute on it. Mm-hmm. There's no right way to do it. Frankly, you know, the, the process of going from a, I guess a provider, I was a provider in training, definitely, and to an entrepreneur was, was a big move. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you did it successfully. Took a lot, and a lot of, of people that you've on, have on your podcast did it successfully. Mm-hmm. And everybody in general has a different story, but I feel like the similarity is, is literally having faith I don't, this sound really corny, but I, I used to think it was all mechanics, right? It was about, all right, you got to write a business plan. You got to do this. You got to do these business cards. You got to do something. Mm-hmm. And people that told me it was about cult building company, culture building, um, <laughs> you know, building, I, I shouldn't say, you know, cause it, I, I think yeah. that's condescending, but they, <laughs> building culture and a lot of the soft stuff, you know, having faith and uh-huh. taking that step. And I was like, dude, I'm just trying to survive here, right? I'm trying to pay my next month's bill because oh, I've decided to do this. Give me some mechanic. What, what can I do immediately? But now that I'm a, you know, eight and a half years in and never took on any institutional money and, yeah. and I've, I've grown the company, even though we're not, you know, not close to, even close to where I want to get to, but now having some experience, I realized I wish I just slow down and focus on, on starting small instead of uh-huh. looking big yeah because right? when you first start like you you got the suit on or just for me it was like uh i wanted to seem like i was big because i wasn't one i was a one man man uh-huh. i want people to take me seriously especially as a as a provider you know somebody that's new out of school out of training uh and 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 i realized looking back that for folks that want to start yeah uh-huh. it's no shame in being a one-man band because the people they're going to buy into like you seemingly big are the people that a lot of times you know, want something from you that's more than what you're typically willing to give. And if you just start by looking like, who can I help? What can I do immediately? It, everything's an exchange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? I was exchanging guidance for the ability, you know, for either an employer to pay me or insurance company to pay me to do the guidance. And that was it. That, that's the fundamental. You have to look at what's the exchange. And if yeah, you're helpful yeah. to somebody, and you're helpful to a point where they'll pay you to do something because it's a big enough pain point, mm-hmm. then you figure something out. And then right. you got to keep on doing it and you get very good at doing it. And then scaling up is then you have to get other people to do it. And that's where the culture comes in. You have to make sure that you have to hire people that fit into the mold of, you want diversity, but you want also people that believe in what you believe in. Right. That's super hard to find. Yeah. Right? And that's why most, most entrepreneurs uh, fail to scale up more than, um, having really like a solopreneurship, which is just you owning your own job, which yeah. is more, is really, really stressful because a lot of times, and I've, certain, I've been there and I feel like I'm still there some days where when you start a company, the first person you take advantage of is yourself. You underpay yourself mm-hmm. and you overwork yourself. <laughs> and when you scale, when you first start to hire, you can't really hire a lot of you know, top tier talent because you don't have the money unless right. you go out and raise a bunch of money. Then who do you, 
who do you recruit and take advantage of? People that you care about, right? <laughs> you, know, you have your spouse or you, you have your friend, you know, come work for the business and you're really underpaying them and overworking them still. Yeah. And then from there, you sort of, and everybody goes to the same things. Um, there's just very few stories out there that are different from a, I mean, a lot of different approaches that you can take, but in terms mm. of themes and in terms of, right, the, the superhero, the, the, there's a thousand different scenarios that the superhero can be in, but ultimately <laughs> the story is superhero goes through some type of trans, transformation, mm -hmm. gets beaten up, transformation, finds him or herself, you know, you're right. Overcomes the villain, and then the end, like happily ever after, for the most part. And there's a sequel, and then try to make more money off of it. But then the, like that's, in, in entrepreneurship, there's, I realize that they're the same themes, just different, much different scenarios. Right. So, so that's those are some of the lessons that I've learned, which is, you know, be okay with, yeah, so realizing you where you are and seeing where you are and taking that first step. Yeah. So do you think, um, for example, the culture of medicine inhibits or promotes entrepreneurship? Because, um, you know, like, you know, our medical system really just pushes us. Um, it's almost like um, it's like almost like um, like assembly line. It's, you know, it pushes us into residency and then fellowship and then you attending and you work in hospitals. And you know, there's no, there's, you know, during medical school, we never heard about investing or you know, finance, finances, or starting a company, you know, you mentioned venture capital, you know, none of that. It was yeah. just, you know, just getting the residency, which is, it didn't make, doesn't make sense to me, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Well, when you're residency, you're broke, right? Yeah, so exactly. You're struggling to get by. <laughs> I don't know how they can pay you under minimum, like anyways, yeah. it's another story. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll, I think that'll change in the future, you know? <laughs> Hope so. Yeah. Inflation really kicks in. Yeah. The, so I, I think that, yeah, that it's a huge disservice because once you get out of residency, you start making, especially specialists, mm -hmm. your salary is still relatively high versus the rest of the population right. of, of jobs out there. Mm -hmm. But the problem, is, I mean, I hear this all, even real estate guys, it's like, what do you want to do? You want to find a fixer upper, <laughs> right? You want to, you want to buy it at a, a discounted price. You want to buy it at a, at a at maybe like a 10 cap. Because yeah. the place is still run down, fix it up, force appreciation, and then sell it. <laughs> sell it to a doctor <laughs> for like a five cap. Yeah, exactly. And now we double your money or triple your money. Yeah. You have to sell it to the doctor. It's, oh, it's great. It's a, <laughs> a no stress, passive income. You just put in your money. And what happens? The doctor comes in, they're like, this tenant's leaving. This tenant wasn't a long term person. You know, these things weren't properly fixed. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. it's true, financially. And uh, that's, that's not to say doctors aren't shrewd. I know a lot of doctors who are shrewd investors, but they had to learn it themselves. Yeah. I do agree. It took me, as, uh, to go into entrepreneurship, it took me about three, maybe five years to unlearn medical school because I was living in a state of fear, right? Because yeah. in medical school, even in residency, in some cases, a big chunk of your grade is whether or not somebody likes you. Yeah, exactly. It's like 75. You can take a test. And once you get into clerkship, it's like, <laughs> you know, the Dr. Jones like you. And if she didn't, then you were screwed. Yeah. It's 80% of your grade is, yeah, is whether somebody likes you, which is 
I, I get that sense. in business, you need to have relationships. That's really, really important. But you're delivering tangible value. When that somebody likes you, it's a very subjective. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, whether somebody likes you is irrelevant because it's if whether or not you can deliver a value at scale to somebody. Because Chris, frankly, it's like if you can help me with something, mm-hmm. and not saying you you're probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met, but it's like, I'm like, Chris is an asshole. I'm still going to, if you're the only guy that can provide me that service, Mm. who am I working with? I'm working with you. (laughs) Exactly. And you can, you can ask whatever price you want. So that's the thing is that once you get into sort of the real, real world, get into business or get into what, it doesn't matter if you're liked, you have to be really smart about uh, what's the exchange. Are you providing something valuable? And if you're a nice person, uh-huh. That means I'm going to continue to work with you. There's another option, but you got to first deliver the value and then you're kind. You know, oftentimes, you know, it's yes. If you're, if you're not a nice person, if you're not well-liked, then you end up, people are going to find the next best thing as quickly as they can. Yeah. So yeah. Going back to your original comment about does, does medicine, the medical training allow you to think entrepreneurially? I, I don't think so. I don't think it does. And I know that there's some institutions that are trying to instill, like when I was at Brown, they had, uh, they allowed me to do a, essentially like an independent study, which was my opportunity to, to, to really investigate how to start a business. Uh-huh. But I was, essentially I was paying tuition to do that, right? Yeah. I, was tu- I was like paying tuition to, to kind of explore on my own. And then it's like, what's the real ROI? I was really self-directed. So, uh, but I, but it's about the people, right? I can't say, I won't say that from a blanket perspective, the system doesn't allow you to be entrepreneurial because you can find the people that are going to be really supportive that say like, hey, Johnny, you, you can do it. You're still young. Go, go on and do it. We'll do what we can to help you. Yeah. But the system as a whole, I don't think we're there. Individuals, absolutely. And, and so I had a few individuals that were, they said, you know, one of them, he, he unfortunately passed away a few years ago, he started one of the largest physician groups, you know, where we were uh, in Rhode Island. And he said, look, you can do it. Just that, that looking back, I probably should have said, look, I don't need the approval. Mm-hmm. You know, being Asian, being all that, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Went through that. <laughs> yeah. And, but then he was like, almost like I was looking for permission. That's what the medical system also forces you to become is you, you need to ask for permission because mm. I get it. Right? If you're in surgery, you don't follow the rules. You're entrepreneurial in surgery, you can kill somebody. Yeah, the patient dies. Um, yeah, but to drive forward innovation and to build something that's beyond yourself instead of being an operator in the, you know, I guess no pun intended, but being an operator in the medical system, Yeah. Um, I don't think we do a very good job. We need to do a better job, but it's scary because- I mean, incentive-wise, the institutions don't want you to be entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. They want the few guys to do something really big to help them and like, you know, put a couple million bucks back in their pot, a couple hundred million bucks back in the pot. But if everybody does it, you'd, you'd have no, you know, you have no providers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Long, hard hours. Yeah. So, so there's sort of the incentives there as well. So at the end of the day, it's for me, it's not being a victim. Mm-hmm. 
And it's why it's so hard nowadays too, when you turn on anything, you read anything, unless you're focused on positivity, right? And you're focused on people that are, who are successful. And, and same thing, with, if you're looking at healthcare, I think healthcare is broken. Yes, it's important just to study the me mechanisms of everything, but why do we almost exclusively study sick people to get healthy? I don't want to, I don't want to study somebody that makes poor financial decisions to mm -hmm. see how I can be financially successful, right? I want to study people who are wealthy that have done it and say, what did you do? What did all, you know, a hundred thousand of you is more <laughs> done that made you successful. And every single one of them, it's like, okay, read these books and like the top five books are like the same. <laughs> you got to do thinking, grow rich. You got to do, you know, the, the, what's called the, the rich, rich dad Babylon. You got yeah, to you know, rich dad. You can do a lot of uh, same, same books. It's usually yeah. the same set of books. Exactly. And so it's like, okay, well, if it works for all these people and all these different scenarios, who do I take advice from? The guy who's saying, hey, Johnny, I'm struggling to pay rent, but you shouldn't do that because that's dumb and, and you never make it. Who do you yeah. think you are? Or the guy that says, look, I, I built an, a 10 figure business and, they, and I'm able to sponsor all these hospitals and help these millions that are able to travel in my community and around the world. And yeah. And, and help millions and millions of people. It's I'd rather be I'd rather be that guy. Yeah. And follow, you know, get advice from that guy. Exactly. So it's about it. It's about fine. Yes, the system is is messed up. The system is is crazy, and it doesn't inspire entrepreneurship. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's an excuse. If you truly got it inside of you to say this is what I want to do, then you got to have the faith to, to do it. What's that saying? What's that story where people, are, uh, it's, it's like on your deathbed and you've got the dreams and all the ideas that you had that were never executed on. And the dreams are saying, look, we came to you because you had the gifts mm -hmm. to bring us into reality. And you didn't because right. you were afraid because you felt like you fit into, you wanted to fit in some box because you wanted to be liked because my friend, Joey, wasn't going to accept me if I went a certain route. <laughs> right. And you got to live with that regret, even for that millisecond before you transition to the next thing. Just the thought of that is just, it, it's mm. painful. Right? Yeah, don't. And hopefully that's painful enough to, to, to do mm. something. About it. And that's what, that was painful enough for me to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't die with regret. Um, it's better to take action and fail and learn than than not take action and just you know hold on to that and just you know go you know the pain of regret is worse than the pain of failure. So yeah, so you know we don't really we don't understand that because you know because we have everybody has time, but you know once you run out of time, then you realize that you know you know everybody's going towards the same path. It's just how you use that time and you know, the decisions and actions that you take. So and big you, time. Yeah. And you mentioned the good thing, interesting, the, you know, is everything is like our culture is fear-based, you know, don't make mistakes. Don't, you know, if you, if you put the wrong answer on the test, you, you know, you're rewarded for not making mistakes rather than in, in business entrepreneurship, you were, were rewarded for taking risks, taking action, making mistakes, but we, you know, we learn, we learn and we move forward. So 
you've given so many great pearls and um if uh people want to oh, broken record it's all the same stuff that everybody else says right? <laughs> it's like maybe you hear it enough to yeah either reinforce it or, or or take that leap yeah um i'm sure a lot of the listeners would be interested in connecting with you so how would they um uh, find you on your website and your social media and feel free to um you know let listeners know and i'll sure i gotta get better at social media so uh, if you want to follow us uh, on Facebook, Doctors Choice USA, mm-hmm. uh, and then also on Twitter, Doctors Choice U, and we're on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are currently restarting our YouTube channel. Maybe I'll, uh, this is another conversation around why we're doing that. And then if you want to follow me personally, uh, I think the most active, I don't know if it's going to be helpful to you. Uh, I just take, I go to Disney World and I take pictures of food. Mm-hmm. on instagram so it's just my full name johnny z lou johnny <laughs> there's no followers and you want me to post more other kind of stuff i'm happy to do so yeah and, so, uh, but I, I welcome you all anybody to connect i'm happy to see however i can help in terms of getting people off the ground or if somebody's interested in the medicare space or if you're an employer interested in mm-hmm. putting this service in for your employees um more than happy to chat. Yeah. And for all the listeners, we'll put all of um, Dr. Johnny Luo's um, ref, um, information and references in the show notes. So thanks so much. Uh, you've dropped so many tons of um, words of advice, wisdom. Your story is so uh, inspirational and you've given so many examples. So uh, take care and we hope to hear about your progress in the future. Chris, thank you. Thank you. I'm following your success as well. Thanks so much. Come join us at the Marriage and Money MD Summit coming up on November 15th through 17th. It's a free summit for healthcare professionals who want to build a stronger marriage and create a better path to building wealth. Click the link in the podcast description to sign up for free and come away with the tools and resources you need to have the happy family life and path to financial independence that you deserve. I'm excited that you made it for another episode. You are truly the best. If you've been following the show for a while, you know that my passion is to bring you the education you need to find your path to financial freedom. Please come back week after week for new content, new resources, and great guests. Until then, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out the website, www.drchrislewmdphd.com for more support. I'll see you next week.